LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. The best transitions I've seen are when you sense completion where you are and then a step towards something good that's coming. Don't just step away from your job with nothing in hand. Don't just take a job without considering, have I completed what I came to do? If you've completed what you were called to do and you're headed towards something new, there's a higher likelihood that you're walking in step with the rhythm that you need to. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here with my co-host, Dan Eiten. Hey, and today we've got with us William Vanderblumen. William is the leader of the Vanderblumen Search Group for the last 15 years, but he's also an author of several books, and his latest is out, and it's called Be the Unicorn, 12 Data-Driven Habits That Separate the Best Leaders from the Rest. William, super glad to have you on the podcast today. Tell us a little, before we jump into the questions here, tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah, well, so the book is an answer to a question. I don't know if you or any of your listeners have written a book, but it's not fun. I don't like it at all. And by the way, you don't make any money doing it. So don't, you know, if if that's your big dream. Unless you've got some Harry Potter you can pull out of a hat, it ain't going to happen. So, uh, but, but for me, it's like, do we have seven kids? So I've been in the labor and delivery room a lot. Right. And I, I haven't given birth to anybody. So I'm not, don't yell at me if you say, oh, I've had labor. And you're watching what my wife go through, though. Like there's this thing inside of her, it's got to get out and it's going to be a real pain getting it out. That's a little bit like, you know, not the same as writing a book. The, having a baby is far harder and more noble and all that. But like, <laughs> it was this question inside me that I needed to get out. And the question was, you know, maybe you've had this happen. You meet somebody and maybe it's a social function or a work function or a job interview or whatever. But within five minutes of meeting them, you're like, this one's a winner. Mm-hmm. This one is different. And I think we've all had that happen, you know, once or twice in life, maybe a handful of times. The question I had is, what are they doing? I've always got something to learn, but I'm not super gullible. Like, why in five minutes? Am I like just ready to sign up for your email list and be in your fan club and post a selfie with you? Like, (laughs) what is that? And, you know, that rolled around in me for a long time. And then we had a pandemic. And so our search firm has been very, we've been very fortunate. We've grown every year and it's been pretty robust growth. 2020 was the one year with a little asterisk beside it, which is probably true for everybody listening too. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. uh, during that shutdown, we had a lot of time. And one of the things we were able to do is say, well, what have we learned over the 13 years that we've been doing this? And what we found is, so in a search, you hire us to find a new CEO of whatever, maybe they're 1500 candidates, but then you do some research and you get down pretty quickly to a hundred and then you do some initial screening and zoom, da, 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 da. You get down to the bottom, you get to the best of the best, the last eight or 10. And in our process, when you get down to that best of the best, those people get a long format in-person face-to-face interview. Okay. So during the pandemic, we realized, you know, we've done 30,000 of those now, which is a lot. And even better, we have a whole lot of people on our team that are not like me that actually track and keep things organized. And so we have all the data from those interviews and we can see where those people have gone in their career. We're even able to say who were the best of those 30,000. They're the best, who are the best of the best of the best. And do they have anything in common? Because I'm back to my question. 
what is it that people are doing in the first five minutes that makes me and maybe we could figure that out by asking this question, right? So I, it was a very selfish question. It was, if I figure that out, I'll be better at spotting unicorns, right? We'll get hired more to find, you know, what we found was these people do have things in common and what they had in common was nothing like what I expected. And it was kind of shocking and then led to a book. So it was shocking because I'm taking too long with this answer. Sorry, but it was shocking because it was not, it was not everybody smart or has an IQ of whatever, 150 or 60 or it was not that they all went to good schools or had good pedigrees. It was not racial or ethnic driven. It wasn't socioeconomic driven. It wasn't even as simple as, well, he was the quarterback and she was the head cheerleader. It's none of that. It was 12 habits that these unicorns all seem to be pretty driven by and very common among unicorns, very uncommon among most of us. And when we saw that and we were like, and they, and they aren't, aren't like things you can't attain. They're teachable. They're learnable. They're coachable. You can decide to practice these 12 habits. So now it dawns on me, wow, we're no longer figuring out how to spot unicorns. I think we've uncovered a guide to becoming one. And so instead of like an internal research document for us, it became, we probably ought to make this a resource people can have so that they can become one of those people that within five minutes, or, or if it's a team of people, a whole team could, could become the team that within five minutes, like, wow. Or if you're like, maybe you're a young leader, maybe you're 23, you're a year out of school. I got a daughter that age and she's like, I can't get noticed. How do I stand out in the crowd? It's so crowded. There are older people that won't let me in the room there. You know, how do you stand out? Pretty simple. Apply these 12 habits to your life. You will stand out in the crowd. And the list is so stinking simple. You might read the table of contents, go, William, I could have written that. <laughs> uh, but, but it's not William's ruminations or what I think makes it. No, it's a hard study of data that leads us back to lessons that probably every one of us had their mom tell us when we were younger, you need to do this. I mean, the secondary title for the book was going to be, okay, so maybe mom was right. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, hey, if you want to be a unicorn, you're going to want to check out the book and uh, excited to, to hear about those 12 data-driven habits, maybe even as we jump into this conversation. William, you know, people can look up to you and say, man, you know, guiding searches, you have a whole search firm that has had 30,000 interviews, just as you were talking about and go, man, I want to be where, where he's at. But not many people know kind of how the Lord worked to get you to where you are today. So if you would just walk us through the different leadership roles that you've been in over the years that have led you to writing this yeah. book and, and leading your search firm. Well, if you, if to, to answer the question, how did the Lord lead me to this? I think the short answer is God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick because this is not William the hero. You know, my senior year in high school, I won, uh, you know, the senior superlatives, like mo mm -hmm. most school spirit, blah, blah, blah. I was most likely to succeed. Went to my 10 year reunion. I was a pastor and we had new superlatives everybody voted on. I unanimously won the superlative least likely career choice. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my classmates are like, they let you in? Oh my gosh, they must let anybody do that. So, so you know, is it God drawing a straight line with a crooked stick? But went through, I was probably an entrepreneur from birth, and I could tell lots of stories about being the newspaper boy who acquired the routes next to him, like that kind of thing. Did a really good job in college of being prodigal. And then God was very gracious to 
wake me up. And I wanted to go be a professor like my great professors in undergrad that were make, giving me goosebumps talking about the New Testament things. I'm, I want to do that. Went to Princeton for seminary, thought that's where you go for a respectable degree. Didn't want to be a preacher because they all had bad hair and just asked people for money. And uh, that's kind of it. That's the job. Two things. Didn't make fun of hair. Mine's uh, not where it used to be. But anyway, um, you know, God and I wrestled and he won. And I went into ministry and then found that you can be entrepreneurial in ministry. I found that, you know, I got pretty captivated. There's an old book written by a guy named Lyle Schaller, who's with Jesus now. But uh, in his book about church leadership, there was a line. My professor from Wake Forest sent it to me and he had highlighted the line. It was his copy. And I just remember seeing the highlight. It said, God called us to be fishers of men, not keepers of an aquarium. And I thought, ah, and then I started hearing about how you could try and reach people who don't like church. And that's it. so I got all entrepreneurial there and, and was a pastor and was fortunate to be a senior pastor at a very young age and then a senior pastor at a very large church at a very young age. Went through a divorce, which I wouldn't recommend. It wasn't a divorce the tabloids would have found very interesting, but a tragedy nonetheless. Ended up single dad with four kids. Went to work in an oil and gas company just to try and provide for the kids and rebuild. And while I was there, the CEO had been there nine years, which is a lifetime for a Fortune 200 company. And he said, it's time for me to find my successor. And they hired this thing called a search firm. Now, the last church I served was uh, First Presbyterian Houston. It's where Sam Houston went to church. It's an amazing church. It's unbelievable. Oldest one in the city. They took three years to find me. And that was kind of normal. Then I was there six years. And granted, you leave with a divorce, there's some choppy water, but the church is way bigger than me. So it took them three years to find my successor. So 12 year span, six years looking, six years with, and everybody thought, well, that's kind of normal. Oil and gas company hires a search firm. 90 days later, they've got their CEO. Wow. And I'm just blown away. I'm like, how, what? And uh, you know, in hindsight, I can say things clearer. I, in hindsight, I can say now, my mind was sitting there going, why does the business world, and I mean, let's face it, I live in Houston, so I don't feel this way, but most of the world thinks that a giant oil exploration company is the death star of the galaxy. It's the worst thing ever <laughs> thought of, right? So why does the business world have a better solution than the bride? And I went home and Adrian and I had just gotten married. I've left a big gap out and, you know, six kids, new house we could barely afford. And I said, baby, I think I think I'm supposed to quit my job and start something new for churches. So she looked at me and just total deadpan said, that's because churches uh, love new ideas, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, just ask Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So she should have said, I love your vision and I love you, but we got to feed this family, go back to work. She didn't. She said, let's give it a try. Mm-hmm. And the punchline is it was the fall of 2008, which if you are 18 years old or, or somewhere where you wouldn't know what that is, just Google 2008. 2000- eight economy or maybe you can ask ai was it a good idea to quit your job in 2008 you get a pretty consistent answer that was the stupidest thing in the world but looking back it was exactly the right time and i didn't know that i didn't know that at all in fact if we you, you guys know the book outliers fantastic book basically about how all these great successes are really not about the talent of the 
group, it's the right place, right time thing. And mm-hmm. if we live 30 more years and we're a sustainable company, we, we need to be an appendix to that book because we started the month that Twitter started. We started right when blogging started. There were all these factors I didn't even know about that came into play. And it was right place, right time. And, and ever since then, I've just been trying to steward the doors that keep opening. Crooked stick over here, but God's pretty good at drawing with it. Kind of expanding on that a little bit more. Can you tell us about like a pivotal moment when you look back over your your history with work and ministry that kind of changed the way that you view leadership and life? Yeah, there's so many. There's so many. I mean, reading the Fishers of Men, Not Keepers of the Aquarium sort of set off in me. I have a new vision for ministry. What if my vision is to overpopulate heaven? I mean, wouldn't you love to have that conversation with Jesus when he said, why did you bring all these people? Wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) (laughs) You told me to. (laughs) I went and got them everywhere I could. So like, and and I'm, I mean, I'm going to be like clinical and remove religion from the equation. I'm in sales, which frankly, every evangelist is. (laughs) They're in sales. Call it eternal fire insurance. I don't know. They're selling an idea. And I just love that. So that was a pivot for me where I saw it was not just sort of minding the shop, but it was jumping into something that's making a real difference. I'd say a more recent lesson for me in leadership, because I'm in this weird thing where we're a business, but we function with a ministry heart and we're a ministry, but we're still a business. So it's this tightrope deal where you're, you know, back and forth. And one thing I'm realizing is that the leadership that I had to learn when I was a pastor might be more important now than ever. You say, why? Well, because I had to learn how to get people to follow when they didn't have to. When I was in Montgomery as a senior pastor, the Air War College is there, Maxwell Air Force Base, all officer training. And I was asked to teach a class. Well, what do you want? Why in the world do you want a young pastor? Well, because your volunteers don't have to say yes, sir. So that was the name of the class, leading when no one has to say yes, sir. And mm-hmm. if you look at the nature of leadership in the corporate world right now, or really anywhere, collaborative leadership, consensus driven, building a sense of team and unity. These are higher than ever on the must have index. And most of them are learned just by default when you're working with a volunteer organization. So that, that's been a pretty pivotal moment for me. Yeah. I, I mean, I could go on and on, but those are two that come to mind. Well, thanks for that. We'll kind of dive in even a little bit more to this because a pivotal moment oftentimes happens with mistakes in your life. So let's go back to young William. What was maybe the biggest mistake as a leader getting started and how maybe that did that set you up to lead down the road? How long do we have? (laughs) (laughs) All day. (laughs) Oh man, there's so many bad ones. There's so many bad ones. Uh, I think a lack of self-awareness was the main cause of all the bad ones. I mean, simple stuff like, you know, when you're a pastor, you have the stewardship campaign every year, right? You build up all the four weeks or whatever toward people saying, okay, we'll give this much for this year and that sort of thing. And I thought it'd be brilliant to do that around the fall, around, which is when a lot of people do this, not a new idea, but I thought Thanksgiving how about the weekend before Thanksgiving? We have our giant go <laughs> your commitment deal. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, it's dumber than you think. So, and I'm in, I'm the new senior pastor. Got to raise all this money for this new building. We're relocating. Like, this is perfect. Give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord. Let me preach out of Psalm 100. Oh, give thanks and all this. I was in Montgomery, Alabama, and it was my first fall there. So, I was going to do the Sunday before Thanksgiving. You know what happens on the Saturday before Thanksgiving every year? 
Auburn plays Alabama. <laughs> so yeah, that means well, the, day, the day after that, half of that state is mad at the other half and nobody uh-huh. wants to give money to anything. What idiot does their collection on the day after the iron bowl? What a moron. But I mean, I could pick more severe ones, but they all go back to a lack of self-awareness. And I'm still trying to learn that, that self-awareness It's it's one of the traits in the book and we can habits and we can talk about it. But, you know, as we talk about self-awareness, I'm realizing this study has made me re-examine some of the teachings that I've learned from a long time ago, like unicorns are self-aware. Most of us are not. Well, I just, it's made me sit and wonder, you know, Jesus had said, hey, before you worry about the splinter in your brother's eye, get the log out of your own, right? People have heard this. I thought that was all like, judge not lest you be judged. Hey, you're not perfect, dude. Don't be so judgy, however you want to say it. Maybe that's all true, but maybe Jesus was also saying, William, until you learn your own weaknesses, you won't ever be able to help anybody else. It's a self-awareness thing. And I'll save you other gory stories, but the Iron Bowl one was pretty stupid. Oh, my gosh. Okay, one more stupid one from that first pastor. Okay? Yeah, we raised it. all the money. We built the building. It was beautiful. We're going to move in for Christmas Eve. I want in on Christmas. I don't want to wait till the Christmas Eve. We're going to be in the new building. Christmas Eve, new building. And we couldn't afford anything, so... You know, the, everybody's worried about the carpet. We're not going to have communion. We don't want any grape juice on the new carpet. Like, whatever. You know, we're going to get it. So I had this great idea for Christmas. What do you do at Christmas Eve services? Hold candles. a candle in the air, right? Well, what do candles produce that carpet doesn't like? <laughs> so this was, this was the mid-90s, late 90s. So you got to go backwards in tech. Like there, were, there weren't even like Blackberries then. So I had this brilliant idea that we would use these very natural, that's how it's advertised, very natural glow sticks. And uh, so, so, so everybody had a glow stick. We sang Silent Night. We can hold your light before the world and you know, break the stick. And you turn through the room. And then it was like we were in this giant field of kryptonite or an X-Files. It was awful. It was neat everywhere. Like everybody just started laughing. It was so stupid. Lack of awareness. It started a giving uh, campaign in January for new carpet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Switching gears a little bit, again, thinking about when you were starting to lead, is there one book or two books that you wish somebody would have given you that would have helped you? Maybe aside from Be the Unicorn, which I feel like might be a good book to give somebody as they're starting to lead, but is there something else that that's out there? It wasn't written yet, but I think if I, if I could do a book bundle with Be the Unicorn and one other book, it would be Atomic Habits by James Clear. Mm, and I read it right when it came out. It's, it's, it's amazing. My friend Craig Rochelle does his once a month podcast. It's 30 minutes, only one time a month. When he had James on, it's the only time he's broken pattern. And he went like an hour and a half. He's just <laughs> like, how do you build the habits into your life? Be the unicorn will name the habits for you. Mm. Getting you to actually employ them would be the partner book that I'd include. And I think Atomic Habits does that nicer than anything I've seen. Awesome. That's a great book for sure. Let me let me throw a different question at you here. It has to do with, I mean, you guys are seeing searches, handling searches. If, if a young leader is sitting here and maybe they are looking for a job or they're looking for maybe the next step in the job that they want, how would you instruct them to go about finding that next role for themselves? Any advice that you'd share with a young leader? Yeah. Well, okay. If you're a ministry leader, which I know some people listening are, I would say the first step is don't decide anything on Monday. 
Okay, so Astor's all just went, oh, yeah, because Monday <laughs> is a bad day. It's like, don't get near sharp objects. Don't get on tall buildings. Don't. <laughs> Monday is down day. It's when you're reading your inbox of all the things you did wrong the day before. There's actually really good biologically driven studies that show that people who get on a stage and pour out their soul it's almost like a manic depressive cycle. It's in that spectrum where you're way up here high when you're delivering and the next day you're going to be down. So if you're in ministry, don't call me on Monday. When we first started, I had a voicemail prompt when it was just me and it said, oh, thanks for calling it. Hey, if it's Monday, just call me back tomorrow. It'll get better. So no lie, that was that was real. But I, it translates to other leaders as well. And that is, you know, Make your career decisions when you're at your best energy. Don't do it when you're at your lowest. Do it when you're at your best. And if you're thinking of making a change, the best transitions I've seen are when you sense completion where you are. That might mean you got everything done you're supposed to get done. It might mean you realize my boss is a jerk. They're not changing. They're not going anywhere. This is complete. That's okay too. But make sure there's a completion where you are. And then a step towards something good that's coming. Don't just step away from your job with nothing in hand. Don't just take a job without considering, have I completed what I came to do? If you've completed what you were called to do and you're headed towards something new, there's a higher likelihood that you're walking in step with the rhythm that you need to. That's super helpful. I'm going to divert from but normally our last question in this section of our podcast is to ask you, you know, what qualities you wish you had as a younger leader. But I kind of want to give in your book. I want to just ask, like, you know, of the 12 data driven habits, what is probably the one that sticks out the most to you that you wish you would have had that habit as a young leader? I'm back to self-awareness. You know, I came to First Pres Houston at 31 years old. I was in so far over my head, it was ridiculous. And one of the few things I had going for me was because I was 31, I knew everything, everything. Mm -hmm. And I didn't. And that's no offense to younger listeners out there today, but man, I just didn't know everything. I wish I'd have had a little more self-awareness. I don't wish I knew everything. I just wish I had a little more self-awareness of how I sounded, what I was doing. I think good, in, I, I tried to do everything with good intentions, but it just came off like a total jerk. It's like, you know, one of the trends I see right now, guys, you didn't ask this, but, you know, particularly in 18 to 35 year olds, they get a job offer. I've seen it in my kids. They get a job offer and then they counter. And I'm like, we're not haggling in some market in Jerusalem. Like, <laughs> this is a job offer. You don't haggle. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, if they're not paying you fairly, then you can have that conversation. But there are so, so many times I see people in that age range who counter offer and shoot themselves in the foot. And even if they mm -hmm. land the job and get the counter, they're starting work day one with a label of that guy knows everything. He wants everything. I think the longer, slower, more successful play is to prove yourself and you'll never have to ask for a raise. That's great. That's, that's good advice. That's very for helpful advice. All right, let's head to the quick hitter questions here. So these are going to be short one minute answers and we'll get started with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff? It's changed over the years. I used to get up at four in the morning every morning. Instead, I backed up from six to four a.m. I had two hours. When you have six little kids at the time, everybody wants your time all the time. I had to find a time where I could do things that I didn't get pulled in eighteen different directions. Four a.m. was it. I'm more of a six thirty guy now, mainly because I like waking up same time my wife does, and uh, I'm trying to get more out of the hours that I'm working rather than how many. What's your best productivity tip? 
Yeah, it would go to the best morning routine. So the dovetail of the two. I'm a big believer in first things. I think the first things you do last. And so for me, a day that starts right starts with the first thing in my brain inbox wise is something from God. Just a scripture verse. I'm a one year Bible guy. I say, Lord, just teach me one new thing today when I read this. Just one. Right. Some days I don't have it in me to read the whole, I just read a psalm or a proverb, but just teach me one thing. And the first thing out of my mouth is gratitude and prayer. And it's amazing to me when you read one of the most popular blog posts I've ever written for Forbes, and I write for him quite a bit, is how successful people start their day. And it doesn't matter what faith background they are, starting with some meditation that's centered on Thanksgiving is what all the successful people do. So I, I think that's a hack or a tip that goes right back to how do you start your day that uh, you know makes a difference. If you start your day scrolling through your phone before you talk to your wife, it's not going to be a great morning. So first things matter. So for me, it's first in, first out, and that goes up. So, All right. What's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? Well, I mean, it's little things that I, knowing my weakness, my car keys are right here on my glasses strapped to them because I can't leave without my keys. And that way I won't lose my glasses. Right. <laughs> uh, when I was younger and had a harder time getting up because I stayed up too late, I had to put the alarm clock across the bedroom. So it went off. I had to get out of bed to go turn it off. And it was a nasty sounding clock too. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, little forced, like if I can anticipate where I might be weak and head that off at the pass, that's been super helpful to me. It's things I'm learning a little quirky, but it's been helpful to me. Aside from, you know, the Bible app, what is your favorite app on your phone? Notes. How do you use that? Just Apple Notes. Super boring. Super boring. All right, here you go. Here you go. The beginning of management consulting turned into all of like McKinsey, Bain, all these fantastic consulting groups was a consultant that I think it was JP Morgan hired him to overhaul his team. And here's what the guy said. I want everyone on the leadership team to figure out what their job is. And at the beginning of each day, write down five objectives you want to finish that will help your job get done. Okay. Just five, not eight or nine. That's too many. Now for me, I try and do seven and make two of them small, but a list and you can go in my notes. I, I could show you, but uh, you can go in my notes and see every day what the list is. It's a new, it, they're filed numerically. I learned it from a banker who was in my church in Montgomery. He was so smart. And for Christmas, he was a super generous man. So I was like, I wonder what he's going to give me for Christmas. Cause he gave me a bunch of stuff just because he's nice. He gave me a day timer that was this big. If you remember that, it's just a little mm -hmm. calendar, really small. And it was branded by the bank. It was basically a giveaway thing. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I said, Bobby, why? He said, you need to write down five things you want to get done each day and check them off. He said, look at this. He took me in his office, pulled back a cabinet. He had day timers from the last 30 years of his life. He said, name a day. I'll show you what I did that day. Wow. Five things. That's it. No more, no less. You write that down. What are you trying to accomplish at work? Five things. You do it every day. So that's why notes is my favorite because I can go see, did I get it done or not? And I, I'm one of those junkies that I love checking a list and watching it dissolve <laughs> right in front of me. I do too. <laughs> I wish I had a better answer than that, but notes is pretty freaking amazing for search. And it's my version of all those journals for the years. What has been the best book you've read in the past six months? 
Probably Einstein's biography. Yeah. You know, the theory of relativity, and this is Walter Isaacson, who wrote the Steve Jobs book, which people know, but he writes big, thick books. It takes a long time to get through them. But I didn't know his whole theory of relativity happened when he was like 24 or 25. He didn't really have another groundbreaking thought after that. So if you're, if you're a young leader and you think you've got something great going on, that's when greatness really happens. And you should be encouraged by that. Find a way to transmit it in a way that doesn't come off arrogant like I did. But you've got greatness. All the great movements of God that have happened have started with younger leaders. And that's one takeaway that I had from that book that made me go, oh, wow. Okay. That's an encouragement to people that are younger and think they have a great idea. All right. Last question for you. What's one sentence of advice that you'd give to somebody going into a leadership position for the first time? Ask good questions. Somebody was telling me the other day in the New Testament, and I'll get the numbers wrong, like Jesus is asked, let's call it 90. He's asked 90 questions. And he answered over half of those questions with another question. It took me a long time to do, like, I've learned to ask myself, I'm still trying to figure this out, but at the end of the day, did I ask more questions or did I tell people what to do? And I think new leaders asking questions, particularly if you're a new leader, where you're serving some people that are older than you, go ask them, tell me about the best days of this company or the best days of this church. What do you remember is like the absolute heyday? Oh, people love that question. Mm-hmm. And you can learn so much by learning the history of where you've been. So ask good questions. Well, William, thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, head on over to wherever you're listening to the podcast, leave us a rating and review so other leaders like yourself can find the podcast. And we'll see you next time.